Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Seamus. Bibles, turn to Luke 15. Pray for the dubs. Sorry for my indulgence on that. I am a spiritual person. And I know someone said, if you're going to pray for them, pray for the sharks. So I, I, if I don't say that, I'm going to get, you know, persecuted. So good to pray for our sport teams in the Bay. I am a, I am a sports person. I have a twin brother, and we are very competitive. So I used to play basketball and beat him, and he would chase me around the cars. He was so mad that he lost because he would say, let's play again. And I would say, why don't you go practice? <laughs> and then he'd throw the ball at me, you know, I'd dodge it. And then I'd say, practice more. And then I would run, and then he'd chase me. Anyway, fun times. Fun times having a twin brother. Uh, anybody have a twin? Yeah? Oh, there you go. See? All right. Me and Karen know. We know what's up. All right. You, anyway, um, we're going to be moving on uh, into this series, continuing into this series on the Father Heart of God and, and, uh, or the revelation of the Father Heart. And um, I want to talk to you today about the prodigal son. Really, the, the, uh, the, the title of that should be the loving father, uh, not so much the prodigal son. And there's so many twists and turns in this, in this story that I, I, I don't even know how, I don't know where the plane, I have an idea where the plane's going to go today. I, I don't know, quite know how the, the plane's going to land. Is that all right? And so, um, but I, I do want to get that plane at least off the ground and get it going. So I'll be reading to you out of the, uh, the New King James Version. Um, and I know that there are many different translations but if you do have your iPhone or your other phone, um, you can go ahead and turn there. At least use the New King James if you want to follow along with me. I think that what I, I want to do <clears throat> is I want to go ahead and read the whole parable, like the whole story. And then I, want to, I just want to work through uh, the passage almost verse by verse and uh, kind of hopefully pick, give you a picture of really there's so many different uh, ways the story can twist and turn, but I really want to kind of open up and just kind of, if you can walk out of here with a greater picture of the heart of the Father, um, then I feel, like, I feel like I've been used by the Lord to at least um, make that deposit in you. Not the, the Lord does it, but, but does that make sense to everybody? All right. So Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start with verse 11. And I, I'm going to try and read it all the way through without adding commentary. Because in my study of this passage this week, oh my goodness, there's so much stuff in this passage. Um, and so pray for me that I just read it straight through. So you can do it PG. All right. Don't, you don't have to say PG like that, but uh, you, you could. All right. Then he said, <clears throat> then he said a certain man had two sons. And the younger said, um, younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together 
journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions on prodigal living. The word prodigal, oh, see, I go, the word prodigal means wasteful. Just so you know what that word means. But when they had spent all, when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I will perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the, the fatted calf here and kill it. And all the men said. Okay, anyway. Women too, but. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received, because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, that's New King James language, but Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as, the son of, as, soon as this son of yours, can't even call him brother, but as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. So let's just take it right up from verse 11. But before we get there, 
I just want to set the context. Jesus is, he actually shares three parables in Luke 15. But if you look at verse 1, 2, and 3, let's take a look at, let's kind of jump up to the first couple verses. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. That would be Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes complaining, saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke these parables or this, these parables to them. So the context here is that Jesus is speaking these parables uh, in front of and to these uh, Pharisees and these scribes. And you guys know that the Pharisees and the scribes were very legalistic individuals. Everything was bent on the law and oral tradition. So it, in, that con, in that context, we kind of set the story of the prodigal son. So with that said, um, let me just kind of, we, we all heard the story. How many of you heard the story of the prodigal son like a hundred times in your lifetime? Put your hand up. All right. Me too. But let's just kind of just paint this foundation, this, this backdrop around the prodigal son. So we have a father and we have two sons. We actually have two prodigal stories in this. Some would argue that we have three. But in this, in this context, the, the father uh, probably owned farmland. And when you owned farmland, farmland was so precious in those days that they would, never, they would, they would not dare to even build a house on it. So what they would do is that they would actually build villages. And everybody would live in these villages, in this village, and they would go out to work in the farmland. So these villages were called, if I can pronounce this right, insulas. I know I'm doing, don't correct me on it, but anyway, just trust me, it's I-N-S-U-L-A-S. So, so these were like family um, housing complexes. And so in these, ins- so anyway, these things, these family housing complexes that they had, um, these, these were made up of, of family members. They were made up of cro- close relatives. Uh, everybody knew each other well. So if you ever lived in a small town, everybody knew, every, everyone pretty much knows everybody's business, right? So, so you have relatives here, you have family members here, and that's where we say, you know, when, when uh, a young man gets married, he'll just build an addition onto these insulas, and that's where he would take his bride, and they would begin their family in these, in these compact villages that were very, very common in those days. The reason why that this is important is that we understand the story then is in the context of community. That the story is, is in the context of everybody knowing and everybody watching. So this is not something that's taking place inside of a uh, house that we would think of that's owned by somebody else. No, this is actually done in the context of these these insulas, these family housing units that are taking place. So that's kind of our first setting, all right? So let's go ahead. Let's jump into verse 11 and 12. And again, it's so loaded, and there's so many ways to go, but I'm going to try my best to stay as focused as possible. So everybody say amen to that. Just encourage me. 
Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. So, again, some more background is that when there's, when there's two sons or there's an older son and a younger son, doesn't matter how many, but let's just say in this context of two, the older son would always get two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger son would get one-third of the inheritance, just to kind of let you know the context of, of how much that younger son was expecting. Whatever the father had, the wealth of the father, we presume he was fairly wealthy, the wealth of the father had, the younger son comes in and he's probably been stewing on this for quite some time, and he says to his father, Father, it's now time for you to give me my, my one-third. I would like to have my one-third. Now, in traditional Middle Eastern culture, with the son approaching the father and asking for his inheritance early, it's basically saying that the son is anxious for his father to be dead. So already he's insulting and bringing tremendous shame on himself as the younger son by asking his father for his inheritance as if to say, Father, I wish you were dead so I can have my inheritance. Can you go ahead and please cut out my one-third now? So already the father is insulted by the son asking him for the third of his inheritance, or his inheritance, which is a third. So the father at that point could have been extremely wounded. At that point, the father could have lashed back out at the son. The father, in, at least in my early attempts of studying this passage, no father in that culture would have granted him his inheritance. Based on the cultural the cultural setting or the cultural values of that day that you've actually insulted your dad by asking for your inheritance. And if that were to ever happen, the, the younger son, they would rarely ever do this, but if it were ever to happen, it would not be granted. So it wasn't a case where the father was like, oh, sure, we do this all the time. You know, your, your, your uncle did it. No, no, that's not the context. The context is this is a shocking situation. This is something that's going against the, the tide or the current of the culture, and it's actually very demeaning to the father and very shameful for the son, but the son does it anyway. So the father graciously absorbs the blow. And in verse 13 and verse 12, he goes ahead and he takes the time. Now, the, the, the value of the inheritance was in, it could have been in livestock. It could have been, it wasn't like, here's your portion. I have it wrapped up at, you know, uh, Wells Fargo. You go ahead and here's your third and you sign a document and you're done. I mean, there was, there was probably a lot of labor to kind of set out the one-third because it's wrapped up in slaves, it could be wrapped up in livestock, it could be wrapped up in all these different things. 
But the father, as he's, as he's probably doing this, he's thinking about what his son is demanding. Yet he does it anyway. This is what Jesus is trying to portray purposely in this parable. So in verse 13, it says, Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, I don't know what the NIV says or the Passion Translation says, but let, when, it says, when it says, and not many days after, it really, the Greek, the Greek word implies that the son moved quickly and he sold the inheritance, the gain for himself cash. The family farm was split. He turns it into cash and he gets out of the village as quickly as possible with things that he had in his pocket, things that he could, but he, he liquidated the assets, if I can say, I could just say it like that. He liquidates the assets in the village, in front of everybody. He liquidates it. The father graciously gives him the inheritance, and the scripture says that he journeys to a far country. What, he, what, that's, what that means is that he journeyed as far away from the Father as he can, as he could. Not only did he journey as far away as he could, he actually left the village and he left the Jewish culture and he stepped into a Gentile culture. Now there was something that you might not be aware of, at least I wasn't, back in the day that there was a ceremony called Kazaza. The only Zaza I know was Pachu- anyway, he played basketball. It's called Kazaza. And Kazaza was that if you took the inheritance of your, of your father and you squandered that inheritance. In other words, if you, if you would come back to the village and the inheritance was squandered, especially if you squandered that inheritance in a, to a Gentile population, there was a ceremony waiting for you. And that ceremony would be a public uh, rejection of you as a person and a public rejection of you as being part of this community. So they would literally stand that person And uh, I don't want to say, maybe it's a gate, but it's somewhere, and there will be a line, and they would take a jar. I don't know how big the jar is. And the the ceremony was they would take the jar, and they would throw it on the ground, and it would crack. And he says, this is what you've done. You've broken relationship between you and us. You are no longer part of this village. You are disowned. The younger son knew that they have, they, the Kazaza ceremony was part of the culture. So he, and the father knew that the Kazaza ceremony was part of the Jewish culture. So here we have the story, just the setting of the younger son brashly coming to his father saying, I wish you were dead and I want my inheritance. Well, he just said, I want my inheritance, but the implications there. I want my inheritance. We don't know what the time difference is between 
when he asked it and when he actually got it, but the father, I think, right away divides it all. The older son is knowing what's going on. The older son is fully aware that his dad is giving the younger son a third of the entire estate as part of his inheritance, and he's sitting there watching all of it. Because there's two stories going on here. There's the younger son, and there's the older son. Are you guys? So the younger son liquidates everything, puts it in his pockets or his, whatever he has, and he takes off knowing that he'll probably never come back. And it's a picture of those who, who start their journey, their, and, they, and they separate themselves from their heavenly father, and they go ahead and they begin to live a wasteful, extravagantly wasteful life. And many of us have been there. We got involved with all kinds of things that weren't godly. We went ahead and we spent our inheritance on wasteful living, things that don't mean much, things that will not give us purpose, will not give us meaning. Are you there? So the relationship between the father and the son was broken and his reputation in the community was damaged. This is the younger. The prudent thing to do would have gone back home to be with his people, but, um, but the younger son has broken the rules of the community, and literally he's done the unthinkable. He lost favor in the community, and he spent all his inheritance that the father graciously gave him. And he knew what was coming. He knew that he would never be, at that point, he was thinking, I could never go back. You know what? There are so many people who have left the church thinking that they can never come back. It all depends on who greets the prodigal. Because what happens if the older brother would have greeted him? All right. Are you guys all right? Am I on verse 14? Verse 14. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined. There was a lot of things I wanted to say right there. I'm moving on. (laughs) Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. In other words, he partnered with a a Gentile. Join means he came alongside and just he wouldn't go. You ever try to get rid of somebody? Anyway, don't say yes. (laughs) He, he, He wouldn't go. He, he joined himself. He spent, he spent everything that the father, we don't know how long that was. Every, he spent his inheritance. There was a famine, and there always is. For those who don't know Jesus, they go ahead and spend 
They know the people who, who burn out leave the church. They go ahead. They, they, when they get away from heaven, they get away from the Father, the, there's a severe famine in their heart, their soul. So there he is. And so he's just going to join himself with somebody. And the, in the culture, when you want to get rid of somebody, you, you offer them, this is kind of a strange thing, but it's culture, you offer them something that no one else would, wanna, no one else would do. And so he goes ahead and he offers them, and he's, he tells them, um, here's what you can do. You can go out into his fields, and you can feed a bunch of pigs, thinking that, that this might do the trick. I'm going to offer him a job because he was impoverished. Now, I want you to get this picture. What did the prodigal leave with? He left with sandals. He left with, you know, he's looking good. He's got, he's got his hair back, you know, like, I don't know. But, you know, I mean, he's looking good. Right now, he's, he's, a, he's looking like a beggar. Everything is stripped away from him. And sometimes you just have to hit rock bottom in order to look up, right? So there he is. He has nothing. He knows he squandered his inheritance. He knows that he, he's thinking, I really can't go back to the village. I really can't go back there because I got something waiting for me if I, if I do. And so I'm in this tough place, and I've been offered to, to feed swine, which is an absolute insult. It's demeaning for, for a Jewish man to be feeding pigs because pigs were considered unclean. So Jesus is painting this picture in the context of talking to all these scribes and these Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees are probably thinking, man, he is getting what he deserves. I mean, if you're going to live like this prodigal lifestyle, if you're going to live like this, then you're feeding people. Like you, honestly, you could not get any lower than what this guy's at. I mean, he's at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. I want you to get this understanding now. So he's, he's not only feeding these pigs, which is very, you know, it's, the, it's like the ultimate indignity for a Jew but he's also tempted to eat the same food that they're eating. And it says here in the back of that scripture, verse 16, no one gave him anything. That means he asked. I mean, every door is being shut, right? Verse 17, but when he came to himself, everyone say, amen, like uh, thank God I came to myself, right? The scripture, what that really means there is he got smart. It doesn't mean he repented. It just means he's thinking, how do I get myself out of this mess? So he, he, he comes to himself and he begins to think. And he, he draws this comparison. Again, Jesus is sharing this in front of the scribes and the Pharisees. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough, uh, bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Okay, the light bulb's coming on. I will arise 
and go to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he has this plan. The plan is, I'm dying of hunger. I can't bear this much longer. I know I have Kazaza waiting for me, but maybe if I go back and I beg for mercy, and if my dad hires me as a servant, then I could actually, by God's grace or by grace, work my way into this right standing again with the, my dad and the village. I mean, nothing else is working for the prodigal son. I mean, there are no more cards left to play. Like, this is it. So he could go to the village, they could throw the, the jar down, and this guy would be completely disowned, never to go back to the village again. But he's desperate. What else do I do? So, verse 20, you guys there? I know it's quiet in the room. You guys all right? So the son is going to try and keep the law by working his way back to salvation. At least that's part of the meaning of what he's doing. So then he arose, that's the younger, verse 20, and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion on him, ran to him, fell on his neck, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Here's the turning point of the story. The son decides to return home, and he appears at the edge of the village. He has worked on his speech, and he's bracing himself for humiliation that he will face when he tries to return to his family. The younger, the young prodigal knows that the Kazaza ceremony is coming. He is empty-handed. He has insulted his family. He's insulted his father. He's dishonored his father. And not only does the, the father know about this, but the son knows about this. The uncles know about this. The relatives know about this. The whole community knows what took place. And he's not coming dressed really nice and dapper. He's coming with his shoeless, which is the sign of slavery. Free men wore shoes. So he's coming shoeless. He's coming dirty. He's coming broken. He's, he's coming. He ha, maybe he hasn't had a shower. He hasn't had. Anyway, he's, he's coming back as a beggar when he left as a prince. He left with his inheritance. The father knows that the village will treat his son. The father knows how the village is going to treat his son when he arrives. I want you to get this picture for me, with me for a moment. 
The father knows what the ceremony is about. The father knows that if his son were to ever come back, that he would be disowned and humiliated publicly. He would be shamed for the very thing he did. So what does the father do? The father is looking for his son daily. Why? Because he wants to get to his son before the villagers do. So there he is looking for his son. Now, I understand he loves his son. I understand the emotion of your son going, and he's distant. You know he's blowing it. You know he's making mistakes. You know, as a parent, if you have a wayward kid, your heart breaks because you've, you've tried to tell them the truth, teach them. you tried to live this thing out in front of them, but they, take, they took their inheritance, and they're off. And you're hoping, you're praying daily, Lord, let your light shine in their heart in such a way that they would make their way back to the family. So now we have a father who is looking for his son. The villagers are all about their duty. The elder son is sitting there in judgment, though the father at that point doesn't know it. And so... The scripture says the father is looking for his son and he finally sees him. How long has it been? I don't know. Has it been a day? Has it been a week? It can't be a day. Could have. Was it a month? Was it a year? I don't know. But the scripture says that the father saw him and then the father had compassion on him. And then his father ran to him. In those days, it was shameful for any man to run. I'll say it this way. It was shameful for any man. It was extremely shameful. I don't know why it was. It just was. For any man to show his legs. Now, kind of funny for us. But then it was extremely shameful. So in order for that to happen, in order, for, for, in order to get to his son as quickly as he could, he had to take his, 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 his robe and he had to gird it in such a way that, that when, he, when he didn't just take a, a, little, a little stroll to his son. So he girds up he takes on the shame. He takes on the humiliation that was rightfully there for the son. He takes on the shame himself. This is our Heavenly Father, okay? He takes on the shame himself. He girds up his robe, his legs are, and he is running as fast as he can to a son that's a beggar, that has broken the, the family, you know, Inheritance, his, he's ready for this ceremony, he's ready to be ousted, and he demonstrates something that no man would do, and that is he would actually be filled with compassion and run toward his son. What does that look like? So there he is, he's running towards his son. What's the son thinking? Dad, don't humiliate yourself. 
He understood the culture. And when a father runs like that out to the village, he doesn't run alone. So he goes out, and traditionally, the rest of the village would be eye him and see him and run with him. That's why he says, hey, go get a robe, because there were people by him. And so he runs out. The son has got to be freaking out, seeing his dad's bare legs, humiliating himself in front of all the villagers, and he's saying, I'm just not worthy. Oh, yes, you are. The father reaches the son before the elders can get to the son. And he falls on him. I, I, I mean, can, can you imagine if you're the son? You're, you're walking, you're filthy, you're dirty, your dad's running out to you, his legs are showing, you know how humiliating that is. And you squandered everything he worked for. And there you are. And not only does he run, can you imagine just the, the look on the father's face? Get a picture. I don't think the father was running with his arms down. I think he was running with his arms out. Towards his son. What's that saying to these scribes and these Pharisees? What's the message? I mean, the father is doing the unthinkable. This guy, this young boy should be punished according to the law. They had every reason to punish him according to the law. But the father's love supersedes the law, and he's running to him, and he's going to seek to restore his son. So there's a public demonstration of the father being filled with compassion, rap falls on his neck, maybe he knocks him over, who knows, right? And he just kisses him. And he just says, oh, I'm so glad you're home, I'm so glad you're home. And, he, and the son doesn't know what to say, so he tries to say his little spiel. I don't even know what verse it is. 20-something, right? Oh, man, where am I at? Verse 20. And so the son says, like, he, he saw him, he had compassion on him, he ran, and he fell on, and he kissed him. I'm telling you, that's completely unheard of in the culture. But Jesus is trying to give us a picture of the Father's love. He doesn't stand in judgment. He pursues the prodigal. And so he says, the younger, the younger son says, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he can't finish the rest of it. Because the rest of his prepared speech was, treat me like one of the slaves. The father says, stop it, doesn't let him finish the sentence, interrupts him, 
And the father goes ahead and says, hey, quickly, uh, I want you to go ahead and bring out not just the robe, the best one. The best robe is reserved for, the, for it could have been his robe as a dad, but don't bring out any robe, bring out the best one. That means he has been restored to favor. He has been brought back under covering. On top of that, he says, now I want you to go ahead and get that ring. What does the ring mean? Authority. What does the ring do? That was, they use rings as a, to sign us. They, they seal documents with the ring. It means he was, he was, he was grafted into and brought back into the empowerment of a son. You see, it's not, it's not that you're a slave anymore, so you've always been my son. You might want to come back as a slave, maybe earn your way back into my heart, but no, you're my son. So he asked him for a robe. He says, bring the ring. And he says, bring the sandals. You might think you're a slave, but you're my son. You're a free person. Put sandals on his feet. And on top of that, bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. Verse 24, for my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. Who initiated everything? The father did. The banquet is the full public display in front of the entire village of his son's full reinstatement. Verse 25. Now the older, which I don't have time for, but I'm going I'm to go for it. Now the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and he heard dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe, that's the father and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. What? You mean he didn't get the kazaza ceremony? Because that's what I would have done. But he was angry and could not go in. Therefore, his father came out. So, so he's informed that the younger, the, this younger brother of his that completely insulted his dad tarnished the family name, has dared, first of all, to come back. And not only did he come back, he was actually received by dad? Now we have the other prodigal. Because the other prodigal was 
under the same roof as his father, but never knew his father's heart. You see, you had the young prodigal who was the lawbreaker being restored. And you had the older son who was the law keeper being offered restoration. And and Jesus cuts the story right there. Because we never know, based on the story, if the older brother ever went to the party. The first two parables, everybody celebrates, not this one. So the, the older son was measuring his value by works and by what he did. Well, let's go ahead and read it, and I'm, I'm concluding, because that could be a whole other message. Probably will be. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, now, let me just say this. This is, this, the, the tense of, the, of what he's saying, he wasn't like talking to his dad like this. Lo, these many years, I've been serving you, and I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. It was like, a father and son going at it at a wedding, screaming at each other. Now, the father doesn't scream, but the, 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 the son, the older brother is so upset that he's literally dishonoring his father by yelling and screaming this sentence. Then he says in verse 30, But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. He was comparing, there was self pity, he was jealous, he was resentful. He's basically saying, this is not fair. Here, I've been doing all this work for so long, proving to you how faithful I am towards you as my father. And that should earn something for me. There should be levels of acceptance There should be levels of worth and value. And you didn't even kill a goat for me. And the scripture says, if I can find it. Did we end it? There we go. And he said, son, you are always with me. And all I have is yours. Now, I felt like the father was probably tame. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Can you imagine what, the, what were the Pharisees thinking? 
What were these scribes thinking? Jesus came to show us the heart of our Father, our Heavenly Father. While they were, while they were governors, if I can use that word, caretakers is a better word, of the law, he should be punished and there was grace. But even in my own heart, there are times when I've struggled with someone else's favor when I feel I deserved more than they. Or when jealousy might have risen in my heart when someone else was promoted and I wasn't. When, when these things surface, we have to quickly confess these things and give them to the Lord. And the question is this. I mean, just something we can think about as we wrap it up. What if the father didn't run, but the son did? What if the son, older son, meets the younger son? You blew it. You had your chance. Leave. You know, there's a story of, uh, I read this week, I'm sure it happens often, where a person that used to be in the church just made a left turn, began living for himself, living very selfishly, but eventually figured it out that there was a famine in his heart, and he came back to the church. And when he came through the door, he felt the coldness of the congregation. And he never went back. See, we can be a representation of the older son or the heaven, our heavenly father. We can hug and kiss and embrace the broken and the dirty because we have compassion for the lost. Or we can hold up our self-righteousness in such a way that those who are in famine, that though we don't know it, are trying to find their way back to God. And we throw a rule book at them. I think my challenge for all of us, including myself, is that, Lord, I want to not only know your heart, I want to be I want to represent you well. I mean, think about this for a moment. How many, if I can use this word, how many, I know this is overused, how many prodigals are out there when they should be in here? Is this a place where they're going to be loved, accepted, and let Jesus do the work in their heart, right? Let Jesus do the work. And I would try, and I would just encourage you, because there's a little, there's a little part of this, and, and then I, I promise I'll be done. And that is, I kind of hit it last week, is that we have, there's a group of people in the body of Christ 
that are still trying to win God's love. So we're trying to pray more. We're trying to read our Bibles more. We're trying to, it's not out of love that we're trying to do that. We're, we're doing it because we feel like it's something we have to do in order for God to like us. Can you just like rest? And quit striving and just have faith and believe and ask him to put the desire in your heart to love the Lord more. Does that make sense? All right, let's stand. So, Father, I just I pray this, this afternoon that we would be a body that represents the Father heart to those that we work with, those we rub shoulders with, to our family members. Father, I pray that when the prodigals begin to make their way back, Lord, that there would be this compassion that swells up inside of us like it did in this, in this parable. Father, I pray that if there's any self-righteousness in us, God, that that would be severed in such a way that the love of God would fill our hearts to this place where, where even Paul said it. It's what compels him. It's what motivates him. And if there's anyone in this room that you've, you're kind of wasting your life as a prodigal, I want to encourage you would you run back to the Father too? I just want to encourage you that in that place where you feel like, I know there's really no chance, he's waiting. And he's waiting. If there's anyone in this room, I just feel like before Jordan comes up, if there's anyone in this room that you're just, you're not right with the Lord, and you want to get right with God, would you just put your hand up? I just feel like I need to give that invitation. Is there anyone here? I'm not going to call you forward or embarrass you, but if you're just saying, Pastor Greg, I need to get right with God right now. Slip your hand up really high. Yeah, okay. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? Jordan's going to come on up. You guys just, just stay in that posture just for a moment. Amen. Wasn't that good? Isn't that good? Um, I have a few announcements, but before we get there, as you know how I always like to close it is seeing God move a little bit, although he already is. Um, and so just as I was praying and asking the Lord, I, I love healing. I love when God heals. I feel like he likes to do it because he likes you. Um, and I think even with what was talked about today, um, I think sometimes we feel like the healing isn't for us, um, whether it's because I haven't seen it yet and I've wanted to for a long time, 
or it's just that we haven't actually reached that level where I'm, I'm truly his son and he truly enjoys me, so now he'll do it. So we feel like we're even working and working uh, to get there. And so just there's a few things that the Lord just laid on my heart um, that he wants to touch uh, this afternoon now. Uh, does anyone have right shoulder issues? I've been having it for a few days, and it's random. Okay, we have one here. Anybody else? You can lift up your hand. I mean, lift, maybe lift up your left hand because um, <laughs> your right shoulder is messed up. Keep it up, please, um, or your opposite hand because we really, I really feel like the Lord wants to heal your right shoulder. So if you see someone that's around them, just you, not everybody has to go. You guys can just stretch your hands, but at least have one person that's next to them put their hand on them or ask them if that's okay. Um, and we're just going to pray for that first really quick. Um, in just a second, is there anybody else um, that has, the Lord just been, even as we're hitting rest, 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 he's been hitting insomnia. I really feel like the enemy is attacking sleep um, and he's attacking uh, rest just in general um, because there's actually a dynamic of our bodies that recuperate when we sleep and when we're rested. And I feel like he's, he attacks it. And so if that's you, please raise your hand. I feel okay. Okay. Anybody else that's around them that isn't either praying for someone or just keep your hand up and we'll get someone to pray for you. So over here, if someone can can pray for this this gentleman over here. We see you guys. If someone's hand isn't on you, just keep it up and we'll get someone there. All right, Holy Spirit, I'm just going to pray simple. Holy Spirit, we just release heaven over each one of these bodies right now. We release your presence. We release heaven. We say uh, whatever's wrong in the right shoulder, we say be made right right now in the name of Jesus. Be made whole right now. We just we just move each person into the uh, into heaven, into the alignment, into the will of the Father, which he said, it is finished. He said, by his stripes, you are healed, not maybe healed. So we step into that. We know that that's who you are, God, and we just speak to the pain, and we say, be gone in the name of Jesus. And everyone who has an issue with sleep, God, we just speak rest right now to the, to the mind, to the soul, to the spirit, to the emotions, to the body. God, we just ask for a divine rejuvenation uh, process to happen, in, even internally and externally, um, in each one of their bodies. And we just believe, God, that, that rest, in the place of rest, in the place of sleep, is actually when you move. When, when we're asleep, our hearts are awake, you're moving, you're speaking. And so I just ask, God, that you would just restore that. For whatever's been taken, you'd restore that place of sleep and rest. Now, if you've if you had any shoulder pain, can you just test it out real quick? I'm trying to hurry. I'm sorry. If you guys have to, if anyone has to go, obviously, know that you're free to go. Um, but if anyone, you feel, it's good? It's good? One? Anybody else? How's you guys your shoulders? Come on. That's like, that's amazing. Someone had pain and they didn't, right? Celebrate like you just got healed. <laughs> so anybody else? Anyone else? So we got a few. Let's, for those that did not get fully healed, we're just going to pray one more time. Um, and then we'll wrap up and I'll say my few announcements that you guys are all waiting for on the edge of your seats. Um, but we just, so Holy Spirit, we thank you, God, for what you've done. We thank you for the healing that just happened. You are so good. And I just speak to, to every shoulder right now that is still in pain. And we just ask God for any inflammation to, to be gone. I felt like there's, there's some, some people's issues has, has to do with inflammation in the shoulder. And I just saw the Lord uh, just decreasing the inflammation levels to, to regular levels, whatever that is. I'm not a doctor. But um, 
So we just release that, God, and we release just your presence. We release heaven and all pain. All pain be gone in the name of Jesus. Go ahead and test it out again and see where we're at. Anybody else feeling any type of breakthrough? 50%, 60, 10? No. Um, Or 100? Awesome. Well, we'll we'll keep praying for you. And for anyone who, who has that problem with sleeping, just it is finished. And keep declaring that at night, like when you go to bed, like it is finished. It is finished. Like this is mine. This is mine, right? Amen. So if you have to go, thank you guys so much for being here. I got these. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.